Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 60, Shooting the Stuff. <laughs> My name's Sean Tiber. I am a coder who teaches. My name's Kelly Schuster Paredes. I'm a teacher who codes. Yes, we have to be careful with that stuff. Yeah, so this is really coming about because there's a lot of little things that have been going on here and there. And we didn't have enough to make a whole topic out of all of it. So we figured we'd mix it all together. And then in addition to that, Kelly and I have been having a lot of these great little side conversations. And we wanted to give you a peek into that. So it's everything from talking about plotting the parlor data via Python on a map to Kelly making fun of me for wanting to buy a Wi-Fi enabled washing machine. <laughs> he's lazy. He He's using everything to give a reason to learn more about Python. All good coders are lazy. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit lazy. We thought we'd just hang out and let you in on some of our conversations. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully we have some fun things to share and some stuff you'd like to, to hear and participate in. If you want to join the conversation and share your own ideas or your own topics of conversation, why don't you tweet it to us at Teaching Python on Twitter and just mention that this is part of your afternoon hangout or something like that, thoughts that come to mind. So before we begin with that, though, we have to start where we always do with the win of the week. Kelly, would you like to go first this week? Oh, my wins, my wins. I have to say that my win is picking up a book finally and actually working through chapter one and chapter three, I skipped, um, with Lee Vaughn. Lee Vaughn, yeah. Vaughn. Yeah, his uh, book that you put on my desk with the stack of other books you put on my desk that goes on the side of the other books that you put on my desk. I got into the NLTK library, and it's my new obsession. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we'll talk more about that <laughs> in the show, I think, because there's a lot of cool stuff you've been doing with that. So, yeah, that's definitely an ongoing win, I would yeah, say. I think. And uh, how about you? So for me, the win are these three boxes, actually four boxes, three big ones and a little one sitting in the corner of our classroom right now. I am building with the students tomorrow during robotics class. We are building. I'm a, just going to take pictures. <laughs> I'm not doing any of it. <laughs> we. <laughs> We're going to all do this socially distanced, by the way. Yep. So just keep that in mind. It's it gonna should be, be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be complicated. Here's your panel, six feet over there. <laughs> yep. So it's we're taking we have three boxes of those foam rubber interlocking exercise mats, and we are going to turn that into a room-sized race course for AWS Deep Racer. So I'm pretty excited to see how this is going to turn out. I've got white duct tape for the edge lines and yellow duct tape for the center line, and we're going to build out I think the 2018 course from AWS their Deep Racer championship. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah. And I have the uh, two tubs of Clorox wipes so that we can wipe them down after everyone touches it. Yep. So love, love COVID. It's, you know, I'm kind of <laughs> over the cleaning part of COVID. I feel like as teachers, though, we don't get sick right now. Knock on wood. No little runny noses, no strep throat. It's it's not too bad. I think the cleaning thing might have to stay. That and the masks and the hand washing okay, and yeah. social distancing. Cleaning. All those like, I'll yeah. do cleaning. Washing hands. Yeah. And it's funny. There is a great chart that shows how much or how many fewer flu cases we have this season compared to previous years. It's these preventive measures do work pretty well. And I thought my mother was crazy with her telling me to wash my hands all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, so fail of the week, Kelly, anything that was a big fail? Oh, you know. Or even a little fail. Did I have a fail this week? Oh, I just tried to run my, my 
Bayesian? Bayesian, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Bayesian. Bayes theorem yep. code from the real Python projects book. And I tried to run it in CoLab, and CoLab had a massive fails. We do not like CVS or CV.im show. We do not like it. (laughs) Get out of here. And then I try to put it in a Visual Studio, and it's, you do not have NumPy imported. And then I crashed Visual Studio code. So Yeah, we probably have to do a little bit of uh, troubleshooting on that one to get the right stuff installed. (laughs) My computer's not happy with all the stuff that I've tried to install multiple times. It goes in line with, someone just tweeted, do you have to know how to install Jupyter Notebooks if you're going to be a data scientist? And Al Swigert was like, made his reply. You have to check that on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it's okay. Thankfully, we don't have to be data scientists. Uh, so we're not uh, job yeah. seeking as yeah. such. Yeah. So for me, I guess the, the fail this week is just I'm, I'm feeling like there's a lot of things that are behind, just lots of things that are going on and a lot of busy stuff to have done right now. And so I am way behind on grades. Like it it is a a big backlog and I've got a ton of of work that needs to be graded. And so I'm determined to get it done so that it doesn't turn into a bigger fail. But that is my current fail of the week. I thought the fail was your procrastination to, to, to do the grading because you love giving the assignments. You love teaching the assignments. You love challenging the kids with the assignments and you love giving them feedback. Just like Putting that number next to it, I think it's because you didn't wanted to put that million dollar point or. But what it is, it's it's so it's so tedious, and it it hits that part of my brain that hates waiting for the page to load to go from screen to screen. <laughs> it, it, it's my brain is sitting there going, "This is horrible UX, right? Why are, why are we why am I waiting? Why can't we make this go faster?" And then every time I post a new assignment that uses Google Docs, it crashes it and I have to log back in. And it's just those things that it's like the little bits of friction that make it frustrating. Yes, yes, it is. It's difficult. What I wanted to start off with today is just some of the stuff that we saw. And I actually heard about this first on Python Bytes, which was really cool. There's this Python project out there that are several Python projects, and I think they even put it in a gist. It was examples of how they extracted all of the data from the Parler social network before it got taken down from AWS. The, the part of this that was fascinating to me was that here's this entire app and social network, and before it went down, there was a hacker activist who decided, you know what, we need to get all of this data from Parler or as much as I can so that it can be archived because it could be used in investigations, it could be good for journalism, and this stuff can't just disappear when the network goes down. They saw the writing on the wall, so they started working on it, and it turned out there were several things about their API design that made it almost trivially easy to extract something like 99.9% of the posts on Parler. The two things that stuck out to me that are worth mentioning from this. We'll link to the article with more details. The first thing was that they had this exposed ID of every image and video that was in the system and it was sequential. So you could say, okay, here's video 500. Let's see what video 501 looks like and video 502 and photo 503. And you could just sequentially go through all of that and just get all this, this information. In addition to that, Nothing was ever really deleted from Parler. They just set a deleted flag on the video or the photo or whatever or the post. 
So it was just flagged as deleted, but you could still access all of it. So they were able to go through and extract something like 800 or 80 or 800 terabytes of data from Parler over a million videos and archive all of it. So even though the Parler app went down, all of this data was still there. Yeah, yeah I liked, I don't know, I guess I'm assuming that they got it from the same place as the, the gentleman who combined the Google Map overlay and was able to place those videos from the geolocation and just that ability to mash those two together so that you can get a visualization of where those videos were in real place on a map. Right, and that was the cool thing about this was because once again, there's a bit of a a discrepancy or a a failure to um, anonymize the information all of the photos and the videos that were scraped from Parler had all of their metadata intact. So all of their location information, the camera information, serial number information, all of this stuff. So they can uniquely associate all of these photos and videos with a location. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of blew my mind that all of this stuff was possible. So then people, once they saw this data set, started pulling all of this information out of it and started to do some really interesting things with it. So yes, there was the, let's take all of the content that was posted in this area around the Capitol during the events of January 6th, and let's place that on a map. And now you can click on any of those pins that are dropped and see the video or the photo or the post that was associated with it. Yeah, they've actually updated that GitHub with the capital, I'm just on it right now. And now they have markers, red, blue, green, and yellow. The four colors are used to make the videos easier to tell apart. White markers indicate videos that have not been uploaded. New videos are being added slowly. So I wonder if they're gonna put all those terabytes of videos on there. It's just, it's, it's coding so remarkable. If you zoom out of the map, the videos were taking I don't, I'm not, can't remember DC location. I've walked it a lot of times, but I don't know how many miles, but the, the distance, I'll show you, we should take a picture of that, but just the distance away from the Capitol building and the videos and the location, and it just blows my mind how technology is so beautiful. Let's just put aside the videos and not talk politics about it, but the beauty of taking the videos, taking geolocation, a little tiny phone, you pull all that data, it's somewhere in this database, server, whatever, and look, you've mashed them together and you have history. Right, and you have, and you have people who are out there thinking about all of these different ways that they can use this information. So the people who are live streaming or the people who are posting photos and videos and, and all of that throughout the course of the day, you can track them over the time. So not only do we have this two-dimensional data of latitude and longitude, and I'm sure there maybe there's height or something in there too, who knows, but we also have this extra dimension of time based on the device. So you can actually see where people moved throughout the course of the day were all the people that were posting videos from inside the Capitol building clustered within that group as they went in? Like, does that show signs of organization? All of these things. Those are great questions that data scientists and people with coding knowledge can answer that we probably couldn't have even done five, 10, 15 years ago with without you know really advanced algorithms or really advanced tracking or something like that. So you take all of this data and you can really do some amazing things with it. Yeah, and in my curriculum mind and, and this whole 
flattening kind of the walls of education comes into play. And we always talk to the kids about stuff you put online is online. Practice mindfulness when using social media. Think about things that you post or things that you put out onto the internet, things that you video. What an amazing opportunity to talk about digital citizenship, to talk about what that means to take that video in TikTok or to post out and share things of videos that you've recorded of someone else and how all this documentation that you're doing with and on your phone, how it's now become a permanent record of that point of time in your life. Yeah, yeah. Huge, great conversations that can happen around those videos and that information that has been posted through GitHub. Yeah, and to be honest, we're not talking about this stuff in our classrooms yet. We're in middle school, we teach computer science. This stuff is still a little bit radioactive. It's new and it's raw and it has a lot of political implications to it, even if we try to present it in a neutral manner. So I think between Kelly and I, we're spending a lot of time talking about it and thinking about what does this mean and how could we use this data or how can we discuss this stuff? But this is not something that we're teaching yet. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we will teach it until we have some, like maybe some historical perspective or we built out a structured lesson plan about it and showed it to some other people in administration, non-administration, other subject areas to make sure that we're doing it the right way. So this is kind of our early thinking about this, but this is definitely not an endorsement to say, go put this in the classroom right now. (laughs) I can see a lot of IP teachers though with this theory of knowledge, having discussions on the ethics surrounded uh, surrounded around storing of data, video footage and posting. It's a great conversation about the ethical use of data. You could you could go on. This is definitely a conversation that I I can imagine is going to happen in high school levels or college level courses of about just the collection of data. Right. And this is something that's really I think worth looking at also. There's a great discussion that can be had there. None of this information was password protected. None of this information was secured. And the person who downloaded it, to my understanding, didn't have to actually hack into their system at all. This is information that anybody could have gotten. So again, when we talk about data privacy and sharing of information, there's a lot of different conversations that you can have here. Did this hacker activist, the person who found this information and archived it and stored it, did they have a right to do it? Did Parler have a responsibility to secure their users' data? There are great questions here that could be asked at different levels and in different ways to be able to have some really interesting conversations outside of the coding side of it. So let's flip topics. Okay. Because we could talk forever and we're supposed to, we said we weren't going to make a whole episode of that, but it's just cool stuff. We really, we, we do this to ourselves. We talk about a lot of things that are really interesting. So on the same topic of things that not quite doing in the classroom yet, and at least in our computer science classroom, but we have hopes of bringing it into other classrooms, going back to the NLTK and the extracting and tokenizing, can you say tokenizing? Tokenizing of uh, written text. What an amazing library. I was reading about that and I am just like, I only know how to do three or four things based on the book and the program, but how powerful is that? Well, and it was really interesting too, because you happen to open the book up at the exact right time to do it. So one of the exercises in the book is taking written text and written speeches and 
summarizing them, right? So to be able to analyze the content and then extract the most relevant information in a summary form and display that. And one of the speeches was? It was MLK's I Have a Dream speech. And it was just, it was perfect. It was the weekend before the birthday, the holiday that that you have off for school to think about what you can do for the community and how you can give back. And I opened it up and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And what I liked about that before we go for a jump into it is just sometimes when you give that speech to a sixth grader or even a fifth grader, it's a long speech. There are a lot of words. And at first when I produced the the project and I copied it out, I, I wasn't quite completely understanding how it was working but it extracts out a, a tiny piece of the speech and we can talk more about that book yeah and so just to clarify if you're not american or you're not familiar with this dr martin luther king was a civil rights leader in the 50s 60s of the united states and he was a you know great leader in the civil rights movement we have a day to honor him every uh, January. Third, on, third Monday of the month. That's right. The third Monday of January is Martin Luther King Day. And at our school, we have that day off from school. And we definitely encourage students to make it a day of service or a day of, of reflection. But we also spend some time talking about it in the classroom in our advisory sessions where we are working with students every morning. We talk about the role of Martin Luther King. We talk about justice and equality and racial equity and you know the value of individuals and a lot of that speech the i have a dream speech that he famously gave in washington dc i think over 50 years ago now almost 60 years ago is a speech that is very famous and very well known but to kelly's point is also a very lengthy speech in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. it is a fascinating speech in terms of the way that it's structured and the way that it is expressed the power of alliteration and if you get the chance to watch the video of it the delivery of it is masterful it is one of the great speeches of the 20th century this program that is in the real world python book uses nltk to summarize that speech and, and you can actually put some parameters around this to say, I want sentences to be this long in the summary. I only want the, this number of sentences. And it spits out a pretty decent summary of the speech when you give it certain parameters. Yeah, and, and what I loved about this is, this is not my idea, obviously. This is all from the book. But the idea is literacy and reading comprehension. We talk about that a lot, and I, I harp on that, and I, I love talking about understanding informational text, but we know from research that in order to understand written text or something that we read, there are a certain amount of letters or words that should be in a sentence. And Lee, um, he highlights this with a little subtext in the book saying that they recommend 15 and under for the number of words in a sentence. And that kind of goes into that where you do the Lexile reading and you can determine what grade level this reading text is. So sometimes with the speech from MLK's I Have a Dream is it's a long speech with not a lot of sentences because the sentences are quite lengthy. And what the, the NLTK does is it takes out those stop words, the A, the R, the is, the the, whatever, and then looks for the words that are frequent thus denoting that this is important in the speech. And then simple input, how many words do you want in your sentence and how many sentences do you want to output, 
and it produces this this beautiful, beautiful thing. And in the book by Lee, he says, choose 14 words and 15 sentences and do a comparison. And just reducing that, you get you get a really nice summary. You can feel the tone still, which I was just like, oh my gosh, this gives me goosebumps. This is even better than Matt Plotlib. It's beautiful. <laughs> so I can't wait to dive into it more. That's really cool. Sorry, you can see when I'm excited. I don't well, shut up. And, and- <laughs> And it, what's really great about this is you can think about all the different applications for this type of, of technology, this approach. I mean, it's everything from like in the classroom where you were talking about the the grade level or the reading level of a text, right? That I think has typically been done manually, right? So we'll read a text, evaluate it. Maybe there are some specialized programs that can take the text of a book and grade level it for you. But why, why wouldn't it be possible to create an NLTK reading level assessment for any group of texts? Like my first thought was like, oh my God, this is how Newzella works. Right. And no offense to Newzella, I love it, it's great, but I could be making some money like Newzella. Right. <laughs> this is crazy. Right. Think about a little browser plugin or something that a student <laughs> could get that says the reading level for this article is significantly above or significantly below your reading level you know, would you like me to summarize it for you, yeah. right? That could be really powerful. And and then in addition to that, things like Grammarly, right? Grammarly is a great example of using this type of language processing to understand intent and understand grammar and structure and things like that. And all those recommendations that it makes in near real time on your written communications hopefully help make us better writers. Mm-hmm. And as you practice and as you learn and as you get that instant feedback, you incorporate those suggestions as you go to become a better writer. Yeah, I agree. And our history government friend, she was already saying, wow, I can use this when I teach social contract because I'm sure the guy, whatever, who wrote the 500 pages thing that they have to read for social contract theory. She's they can't even understand a little bit. I'm like, it can take as many words as you want. Let's try it. And she got really (laughs) excited. And so these are the things that I love about the Python projects that we don't necessarily teach the code because it's it's a little higher than a sixth or seventh grader, mm-hmm. although my sixth and seventh graders are going to be up there, I'm telling you. But it's a little bit higher than what they can handle, and I think this stuff is beautiful in the classroom. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, the thing that I want to work on next, and I haven't quite figured this out, but I was kind of improvising yesterday in class and was using the requests library to download some data and show students how you could take complicated code. So request is a little bit beyond where they are right now, but more complicated code and put that inside a function so that it's encapsulated so that you don't have to think about that code complexity when you're actually using the function. So you think about the complexity when you're writing the function, but the rest of the time you can just kind of abstract that and say, okay, this is just my, my function. So I had used a, um, an API that I had written as part of the fast API tutorial from talk Python. And it was something that was simple enough, right? Like you could give it a city and optionally a state or a unit of measure, and then it would give you back a very simple JSON object of the weather representation. And what I want to find are more examples of simple APIs that are free and anyone can access and parse through in a really cool way for students. So if they want to get IMDB data or if they want to get weather data or stuff that's live and current and real and stuff that they can start to look up because the part that I think 
flipped the switch for them that they were like, oh, now I get why this is cool was we wrote this little function that used four lines, you know, a request.get call, it parsed the, the return values and it printed it back out again. They could see that like, wait a minute, if my function argument is the name of a city, I can get any city I want. Wait, like for real, I can get any city. And suddenly it was like, okay, well, we've gone beyond those really boring examples of functions where it's like A times B or let's calculate Newton's second law or something like that. And into something that's like, wait a minute, this is actually very cool. Now this is using stuff that I find interesting because it's new, it's fresh, it's current, and I have control over what it's going to be. So I want to get those beyond those calculator functions and beyond those really basic things where the only data available to them is to type it in, you know, like here's a list of your favorite candies. Like that's good to learn about lists, but to really know lists, like what happens if you can get a thousand items in a list from a file somewhere online and then parse that into a list in Python and then graph it or analyze it or sort it or something like that, that starts to get into stuff where now they've got really cool information that they can work with and functions and objects and stuff that they can work with that aren't just the stuff they typed in. Yeah, I think you're leading the way for authentic assessments. I hope so. I hope so. I really want to make sure that we make this a really authentic place for them to learn. But then to your point that we have a way to assess whether they genuinely understand the content and they know how to apply it and they have those demonstrated opportunities for learning that kind of go to uh, what's the name of it you you're the one with the pedagogy <laughs> stuff come on the the ability to synthesize the ability to apply uh, bloom's taxonomy, bloom's taxonomy. Okay. thank you i just can't think of it off the top of my head all the time it was really it was such a cool thing to see it was four lines of code i was trying to look but then i, I every once in a while i peek in when he's teaching it he knows he's done something good when i start looking and i'm like trying to see what he's coded and i was i'm modeling it for Sean doing what he already knows I do. People can't see this at home. We should have a live feed. <laughs> but it, it, it was really nice. And I think I think that's those are the things that computer science teachers, and I'm I'm just guessing out there, these are the things that people are searching for. So if I can show them here this weather thing, and here's a list of all these APIs that you can get, how what could you make out of that? Can you imagine if you find for our kids Really, one of my students is really interested in buying shoes on the cheap and selling a little bit more expensive on the to other friends, which is very unique little entrepreneur. But can you imagine if he can quickly get an API to scrape and get the 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 cheapest model of that shoe because they only have five of them out there? And right, right. I, I think that would be so amazing if we can start to get them interested in those things and giving them some skills, we're going to end up with a bunch of little millionaires running around here. I think. <laughs> we just take a little cut out of it. A little bit. But it's really cool. But these are the things that people search for. What is that performance task? What is that authentic assessment that shows that they know how to forget how to get the API and everything like that at our age, but they know how to take that little copy of code, make it into a function and, and output what they want. This is a simple sort of print statement into their, or return statement into their function with the parameters. These are the things that make that learning connection for them. Yeah, and I think that's what I'm feeling right now at this point in the year. You know, it's January, it's the third quarter. I've taught this course twice already. And I feel like I'm at that point where I'm missing something. Like I'm missing that extra spark, that extra bit of 
excitement about what I'm teaching. And I think this is also the way for me to find that and bring it into the classroom where it's like, how do we make this really interesting and relevant and fun and cool? You know, something that they actually want to make because they're in the January and the third quarter and they have half the year left. And it's hard to imagine doing this for four more months with the masks and the cleaning and the social distancing and everything. How do we kind of break out of that loop and get back into the stuff that's really exciting and invigorating? Yeah. I am not putting all the new coding in because again, sixth graders and seventh graders, but I've been allowing them to be my test subjects and applying high motivation techniques in order to help the students have this mental switch that they can do it. And I, I keep plugging this one book and I, I tweet about it all the time because you, you can only digest a little bit at a time, but it's about motivating your students and using effective effort and teaching kids how to use effective effort to learn and help making sure that they understand that smart is something you can get. And it's been my little way, like you said, in order to keep the energy going. And I, I don't know, you can test for it or not, but I feel like you can see a difference in just the mental, mental, lack of better words, mental positivity in this quarter with my sixth graders. They came in scared like they all do because they hear the rumor that computer science is the hardest course at school. And I don't know if it's a topic or we're just meanies, but it's only been six days. And one of my students coded the invite, what was it? The invite to uh, adopt a certain type of pet using a while loop some input functions, some methods on objects, great variable names, because I've been harping on them about variable names that are descriptive, so we don't have smelly comments, and some conditional statements, and checking for quality. This is sixth day of coding for them. The I can do it mental thing has been my motivation to keep me going. You're getting something going with those sixth graders, and I don't know exactly what it is, but they're like in it. They're, they want to do it. They're excited about it. And I was overhearing or eavesdropping on your class today and just the number of students that were like, oh, but we have to do this. And, and, but what if we do this instead? And it's pretty cool to watch them get into it and see their level of excitement and enthusiasm about it. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It was, it's, I tell them all the time I get goosebumps and I say, I always tell them, and it was, I know it's cheesy, but I always tell them, you make my heart go pitter patter. And they roll their eyes a little bit, but that's why I teach middle school. Cause I can say silly things like that, but they're saying this stuff and they're getting it. I, I did a challenge today for them and they're scared of the challenges, but they can fail my challenges and it doesn't really make them fail the class. But one of the end errors, because it didn't throw an error, but the variable was number number one is assigned to the string of seven. And then I looped it through a list and it came out with seven, 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 seven. And what I wanted them to see in the loop was the answer was the multiplication of seven times the list. One student got it and he was like, I got it. I got it. <laughs> And I got, and he got a GitHub sticker because we love giving stickers. He took that one. It was, it's just great. It's a great third quarter. is fun. I'm happy and having a good time. Sorry. Normally, third quarter is the best quarter. I just feel like right now, 
Third quarter is tough, and I think because it's this year. I think it's this year of extra precautions for COVID, for distance learning, for hybrid learning, for cleaning, all of these things that are extra burdens on everyone's mind, not just the teachers, but the students as well. I think it really just makes this quarter a little bit harder than usual. You're just sad because you can't race your robots around all around the outside. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Hopefully by spring. Hopefully by spring. I think if we can get enough of them, then each one can have one. That's what we're hoping. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully we can come up with something. Okay. So Kelly, we got one last thing each. Anything you want to talk about, anything that comes to mind about coding, teaching, life in general, kind of things you're looking forward to over the next few weeks? Let's see. So I'm, I'm going to stay true and finish my book. What else? I don't know. You go first. Let me think. All right. Well, for me, a lot of the stuff I've been doing lately has been blend between school and and my side gig uh, of doing some consulting here and there. And most of my coding lately has been on the side gig. And I'm really excited to get back into coding for the classroom. So that's where I'm excited to try out these AWS deep racers, where we can do more of the training of reinforcement learning models. I've got this deep lens sitting over here that I really want to do some stuff with around secure and private face recognition for classrooms. So I have some things that I want to do there to make it work. I've got to get my dispenser working again because the Alexa integration has been uh, down for several weeks now. And I know that's really breaking Kelly's heart. There's just all of these little projects that I want to get started again. And then on top of that, you got things like the Raspberry Pi Foundation just released their own microcontroller today called the Pico. And it's like a no little... No more microcontrollers. No more. We, okay, we have I'm to sorry. collect them all. They're like Pokemon, you know? <laughs> Do they have energy cards for them all? That is what we need. Another another wall things with all your, your hardware with what they do. Yeah. Yeah, just like here's someone a, else make it like maybe like a museum of different <laughs> microcontrollers because in this at this point in the classroom we've got circuit playgrounds, we've got micro bits, we've got uh, a whole variety of Adafruit boards. I've got some old like Arduino um, SparkFun boards sitting around here. Like there's just a ton of hardware. We definitely need to make a little museum of microcontrollers. I think within our classroom for kids to start seeing and seeing what's possible. Absolutely. I can see it now. We have our Gemma, our, our, what name some of them. We have the Gemma, we have all our circuit pythons. We have a history timeline of the different types yeah. of circuit I've got I've got feathers. I've oh, got yes. those argon boards that I never got to use. The little trinket thingies. What are yeah, the trinket, Adafruit trinkets. Mm-hmm. Like the We've got the M0s. We've got the M4s. we got all kinds of stuff. And that's before we even get into all the little screens and speakers and all those other accessories that we have. I just need a year of dedication to one thing. One thing. Someone asked, it was uh, Mike, Mike Driscoll. He tweeted back to me and asked me, what was my goal now that I made orange belt on? uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I'm still coming back to that data database and I have to, was it SQLite? SQLite, yeah. SQLite, plugging for Mike. He's been very supportive of us, sending us stickers. And uh, he has his book, a a new book that's coming out. We'll put it on our show notes because sorry, I can't remember the name, but he's also told me that I can read some of his articles in order to add that to my database. A lot of things going on, just never enough time to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, the story of a busy computer science teacher's life, right? Is there's never quite enough time. 
There are a couple of listener questions, though, that we can uh, talk about this week. We haven't had any of those for a while. The first question came from just a nobody as Rick. So Ricky Tichi on, on Python or on uh, Twitter said, have any of your students used what they have learned in the classroom to get paid for doing work on a real project? And I know this may come as a shock, but we don't actually have many like 10, 11, 12 year olds that or 13 year olds that are getting paid yet. We did have a student who wrote his own book, though. Yeah, we did have a student who wrote his own book. That was pretty cool. Not about Python, but <laughs> he is a published author. We have students who have uh, gone on and taken other courses and built other things. So most of our students are not necessarily getting paid for coding yet, but they are off creating projects, which I think is almost as good at this age, that they're making something that they can point to and say, I made that and be able to demonstrate that to others. So when they do go for that coding job or they get an internship or something, they can point to hopefully some, some code examples that they can use for that. We haven't started them yet on creating their own GitHub portfolio, but I think that's probably next. I think we have a sixth grader who, I, we will obviously not say his name, but I told him in class this quarter, because I've known him since he was in fourth grade, I said, and I always say dude, sorry, I say, dude, you're gonna be out coding me by the end of sixth grade. And he's just like, really? And I said, yes, and your mother has already emailed me a couple of times. <laughs> Because you're so dedicated, and he was in Visual Studio, he coded his own game, he did all of my assignments, and then I just said, add your own flair, and he, he did them. And he's just, he's got that mind ready to go, and the perseverance, and the questions, he knows how to talk, and I, I just keep now defaulting him, uh, that's Mr. Tyrick over there, yep. <laughs> go talk to him, because yep. I'm not there yet to think, but it's amazing, and I'm okay with that, so I have a feeling he'll be doing something amazing in a couple of years. Yep. So then the next one we have is just a suggestion. And I thought it was kind of a cool one on, um, I think it's on Mac OS. I'm not sure if it's on windows also, but I just downloaded it, it and installed it. It's called code. It's an app, uh, that lets you share marked up code with students as an image so that you can see all of the color syntax highlighting and formatting and all of those things, but they can't easily copy the text and paste it. So it's kind of an, a preferred alternative to trying to grab that screenshot from an editor. Maybe if you have a little bit of extra code or it doesn't fit cleanly on the screen, Code can help you get a long image out of it. So that was kind of cool. And it lets you do all kinds of style and formatting and stuff like that on there that I thought was, was pretty neat. Yeah. And I think that's uh I think that's all I have. Yeah, I think I think that's probably it for this week. We kind of filled up a lot of time with a lot of little <laughs> topics, which was a lot of fun. That's a lot of so lots. glad we didn't get to the uh, washing machine app or washing machine. Oh, look, I firmly believe that if I'm going to pay the same amount of money, why shouldn't it have Wi-Fi built into it? <laughs> I can see him now. Yeah. Oh, wait. I have to start my laundry. It's bad enough. I have to hear him say. It's so cool. My 3D printing object, it's printing right now in my garage because he's pushed the button to launch his smart print. You're just, you're just, I'm just uh, jealous. Yeah, not jealous, <laughs> but you're just um, dreading that moment where the lights in the classroom flash when my laundry finishes at home. Okay. I'm just saying it could happen. <laughs> yeah. We had to make sure that the Alexa's not on uh, Sean Tiber's uh, 
app so we don't have to hear about all his new deliveries of all his boards that are coming in to code his pool. Yeah, my wife already gives me a bad time about all the Amazon packages that show up with a new sensor board or, you know, why do you need lithium grease for that? It's for the printer, I swear. Uh (laughs) Code my bed so that it's room temperature and it cools off. There you go. Actually, I would buy that. I think that could happen. We can maybe put your sixth grader on that. <laughs> we'll do it. All right. All right. You better get it. Well, here. okay. So if you'd like to continue the conversation, if you've got stuff you want to share with us, you can always contact us through the website at teachingpython.fm. I know that there are several people who have contacted us through the website, and I'm a little bit behind in getting back to them. So we're going to have an upcoming episode where we address some of those questions and we respond to them. Um, you can follow and engage with us on Twitter at teachingpython. Kelly is at Kelly Pared on Twitter. I am at SMTiber on Twitter. You will not find me in the download of all the parlor data. <laughs> I am not a user there. Um, you can sponsor us on Patreon. The link to that is in the show notes. And once again, as always, and eternally, thank you for all of our Patreon supporters who help us keep the lights on. We are working to release new episodes weekly. Our goal is Tuesday, but sometimes it stretches to Thursday or Friday. We still try to get it out for you. We're excited to hear from you and hope that you are having a great week. So for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly, signing off. Mm-hmm.